Today, we're going to talk about victory over significance. This is our last sermon in our series through Acts called Victorious Living, where we took, and we didn't go exegetically through Acts, so I encourage you, read the book of Acts. But instead, what we did is we looked at real life people, real humans in the book of Acts, where it shows them how God helped them overcome some of the life's most difficult things and how to have a victorious life here now and to live for bigger things later. Now, so far, we've looked at Peter, and we've looked at James a little bit. We looked at, at uh, uh, some folks that we really don't talk about very often, like a jailer and a slave girl and things like this. And understand this, that God is in us. And the same Holy Spirit that empowered the saints back then, because they were just regular folks like you and me, is in our lives today. And if we've seen God help people through anger, we've seen him help them overcome bondage and fear. We've seen him help them overcome pain and hard circumstances and injustice and the things of life that trip us up. Through this series, I hope you've seen how God is not, it's, our faith is not some, some wishful thinking kind of thing. It has practical power for us today. And today, we're going to focus on one more individual. In fact, it's different than the others. This individual is the bride of Christ. It's the individual that the book of Acts was really about. It's the story of the church. And we're going to see how God, through the book of Acts, how he shows us how to have victory over insignificance and gives us the power to prosper. There is a question that I'm sure that you might be asking, why would we need significance? Significance is to live for what's important. It's, it's ingrained in each one of us. If you don't feel like you're living a life of significance, you get into your 40s and 50s, and then you have something called a crisis. Because you look into your life and say, what am I doing? I'm, I'm halfway through this thing, and what have I done that matters? And significance or lack thereof is something that drives most people to wakes them up from their selfish life because they live for just the here and now and just to survive. And at some point, they take their heads up and they look and they say, what have I done? What does it matter? When we lose significance in our life, it leads to depression and despair and all kinds of problems. There's something in us, hardwired in us, that says that we know that we were meant to live for so much more than we often do. Insignificance is is often there just in the background of our minds. Just kind of gnawing away, saying, what am I doing? What am I doing? But it gets louder over time. And to live a life without significance is a life of despair, and it's a very sad life. It's one that doesn't give us fulfillment. That, that gnawing lack of, of feeling insignificant drives people to do all kinds of crazy things. It causes them to, to increase all kinds of stress in their life, bring people into the world that probably aren't very good for them, feeling like somehow if I had enough money, enough popularity, enough success, then I will feel significant. But the thing is, that's not where significance comes from. And those very things that we go after are the very things that often kill us, drive us to early graves, or make us wish we were dead in the process. Now here's the thing, God has something better for us. He actually gives us something that this world can never give us, and that's victory over insignificance. There's a song that's on the radio right now called Centuries. It's by Fall Out Boy. And it's, it's interesting. If you watch most sporting events, like I do, you will hear this song. 
here's, here's the chorus on it. It says, some legends are told, some turn to dust or to gold, but you will remember me. Remember me for centuries. And just one mistake is all it will take. We'll go down in history. Remember me for centuries. It's a cry for significance, isn't it? I've got bad news for Fall Out Boy. No one's going to remember them in 10 years, except for maybe on the comeback tour. Right? Most of those athletes, the ones that we lift up today, they'll be, you're not going to remember their names in 50 years. Maybe a handful, like Babe Ruth or something like that. But you know what? I even said Michael Jordan. I was talking to some kids the other day. I talked about Michael Jordan. They said, who? What? <laughs> Significance doesn't come from what we think it does. And even if they do remember you for centuries, they may name their dog after you. My dog's named Caesar. <laughs> Significance, though, is at the heart. It's something that we, we long for. Where does it come from? Well, let's look at the book of Acts and the story of us. And, and how does it begin? This is going to be a wide swath thing, right? If you, so I encourage you, get back in there and just read the whole book. It's, it's not terribly, terribly long. Um, but, but this is how the church started. It char- started small, terribly, terribly small. It was a group of just average guys, fishermen, tax collectors, political guys. I mean, they're just this group, a handful of, of just working class Joes, Nobody real special. No one you would remember for centuries in and of themselves. And they were called out of obscurity by a man who was more than a man. And Jesus came into their life and he said, follow me. And during those three years that they followed him, they saw God do amazing things. And they were part of stuff that we would just, it's amazing, would blow our minds. But at the very end of that three years, Jesus was crucified, and all of their hopes and dreams died with him. And we find the church, the beginning of Acts, scared and stuck in a room hiding from the authorities. That's how the church starts. They were scattered. They were without any kind of courage. But then Jesus came. He came back and he showed himself to them many times over a period of 40 days. And over that 40 days, he showed them this is not a hallucination. This is not some kind of fairy tale. You can touch my wounds. I will eat with you because ghosts don't eat. Right? I will talk with you in public so everyone can see that I'm here. And he met with them. And through that period of time, something changed in the church. Something amazing changed in that little group. And there were some women that were part of this. And we find out in, in uh, Acts uh, 1-5 when they were trying to replace Judas Iscariot because obviously he kind of forfeited his role as an apostle. And so there was 120 of them. That's the size of the church. Smaller than our congregation. Isn't that amazing? And you have this little group. And then Jesus is meeting with them and, and they see the Lord and, and they have a message of testimony. But God says... Go back to Jerusalem and wait. And then Jesus tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're going to tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what do they do? Well, they go back to Jerusalem and they wait. And the Holy Spirit shows up and everything changes. The church started small, but it didn't stay small. It grew. It grew fantastically fast 
It says in Acts 2.47, it says, At that time they praised God and they had the good will of all the people. And each day the Lord saved people and they were added to that group. Each day. Can you imagine? Every single day we had to do a baptism service. You know, it's awesome we get to do one a week. But each day, that's pretty cool. It started as 120. And it grew. Well, that first, of course, Pentecost, there were 3,000 men, plus ladies and, and kids that were baptized. I think that's pretty fantastic. Then every single day, there were more and more and more that grew in the faith. And the church started to grow in the very same place within the very same, uh, what, season, right? Month and a half later from when Jesus was crucified. In the very same place with those same officials there who tried to kill Jesus and succeeded, but he came back, were still there. The very same crowds that said, crucify him. This is where the church grew. This was not a, a welcome environment for church growth. And yet it grew because the truth of Jesus and his resurrection was undeniable. And people came. And so the church grew. And as the church grew, it does what churches do. It suffered. Because we have an enemy out there. And it is the devil. But we also have an enemy out there in itself. And the two wage war against God. And when Jesus shows up and says there's a way to live for significance, there's a way to live for something better, there's a way to, to have peace, our selfishness says, I want to be part of my own kingdom. I want to do it my way. And I like to control other people. I don't want to bend a knee to Jesus. I want people to bend a knee to me. And what happens is we have all kinds of conflict and war, and that's what the church had. In fact, there was a man in Acts 8 who was out there, and his name was Saul. And Saul, we talked about him. God had a life change happened in his life. But before that happened, Saul was, was zealous for the Jewish faith and persecuted the church. And there was a man named Stephen that, that he was there when they murdered him. That was the first Christian martyr. He was there to make sure that there were plenty of other martyrs. And throughout Jerusalem, Saul went through and, and waged a war of terror. And it says Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. This is Acts 8. It says, And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now what did Jesus say to his apostles? The Holy Spirit is going to come, right? But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. And then where? Judea and Samaria. Where did they go? (gasps) Well, it's amazing. I think that's pretty cool. But... They were scattered. You understand that the church faced persecution. And we talked last week about how pain and difficulties and things like this are not outside God's control. And God was in control of this. He foresaw it and he worked through it. And the church grew despite the fact that it was being persecuted. In fact, many years later, there was a guy named Justin Martyr who who spoke about this. And he said, you know, the blood of the martyrs seems to be the seed of the church. Where other Christians are persecuted, that seems to be the very place that the church grows. It's an amazing thing because the devil himself can't stop the church. It just grew despite persecution, despite suffering. If the church suffered in Jerusalem, it suffered in the Roman Empire. I mean, you look at the Apostle Paul. He went all over the place. In nearly every place he went, they tried to kill him. Nearly every single place. And every single place he went, the church grew. Isn't that awesome? Talk about Rome. The church suffered in Rome, didn't it? I mean, the apostles, Paul and Peter, were killed there. That was, that was bad news for them. And we would think, oh, this is horrible. The empire of Rome, powerful Rome, takes down everything, right? Well, guess what happened to Rome? It became Christian. You see, the church suffered everywhere, but the church continued to grow 
everywhere. In fact, it spread. In fact, Acts 11, it says this. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene and began preaching to Gentiles about the Lord. And the power of the Lord was with them, and large numbers of the Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. They were being persecuted. How often do we think in our life that I, in order to prosper, things have got to be going well for me? But wherever they went, they told people about Jesus like he said they would. And the church grew enormously. You see, at Pentecost, the gospel expanded beyond culture. At Pentecost, what happened was the Holy Spirit came in, and there in Jerusalem, during a feast where there were Jews from all over the world who came there, and they spoke all these different languages, right? And what does God do? The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and these little tongues of, of fire go over their heads, which I think would look pretty sweet. And it goes over the top, and they can speak in all kinds of languages they never had studied. And they go out into the streets, and they tell people about Jesus in their own heart language. And the people were like, What? How is it that these guys, clearly from Galilee, which is like being from Arkansas, right? <laughs> How can these guys speak in all these languages? And they say, well, this is from God. And these people, they come to faith. 3,000 of them are baptized. And where do you think they go? They go back home. And so at that one day... At Pentecost, the gospel showed it was not just a cultural thing, which is why, if you look at a lot of religions, they, they look a lot like, like they dress a lot like the founder of that faith. Like you see like a Buddhist monk, they kind of wear funny clothes and things like this. Or you see most people that are really into Islam, they'll certainly dress in it seems more of an Eastern type of clothing and wearing things like that. Because we oftentimes make religion after our own selves. And we want people to look like us. But at Pentecost, God took religion and he destroyed it. And he said, faith crosses culture. Which is why Christians here, we worship the same Jesus. But I tell you, I've been, I've been in, uh, down into to South America. We've been into Europe, Eastern Europe. We've had folks down, go down to Africa. Uh, wherever you go, Christians believe the same Lord. But we look different. Our worship styles are different. Our culture is different. But the message is the same. At Pentecost, something amazing happened is the gospel penetrated culture. Deeply. But that wasn't the only thing it penetrated. That the persecution, we see that the gospel expands beyond geography. How much in this world, up to this point, religions were just about where you lived. Uh, Judaism was about being back in Israel, right? You have most faith. The Roman Empire, they had all kinds of different gods. And if you wanted to, to worship Artemis, well, you had to go to the right city to worship Artemis. It was all about geography. And with the persecution, we see God said, no, salvation and faith, I'm the God of the universe, and it's for all people. And he spread us places that we wouldn't normally go ourselves because the gospel needed to go there. And then we see with Gentile Pentecost, that's, uh, that's this guy named Cornelius. He was a, a, a leader of, of the army, but also a, a God-fearing man and a Gentile. And God says, I'm going to send the Apostle Paul to you. Be ready for him. Go get him. And so, or the Apostle Peter, and God sends Peter up to him, and Peter baptizes them because they come to faith. It's a cool story. There's a lot more to it. But what happens? They get little tongues of flame over their head, and they're able to speak things just like the Jews did. And so God was saying, they're just like us. And that's what Peter shows. At Gentile Pentecost, when that happened, it shows that the gospel actually expanded beyond grace. Or that's why race. It, it expanded way beyond race. 
So God is for all people. He's for all cultures. He's for all places. The gospel expanded enormously. And it didn't just expand. It's not like it just kind of got a little foothold, a little toehold in all these different places. The gospel prospers. It prospered and continues to prosper. You know the last two verses of the book of Acts are? And we read this whole story of the church growing. We get to the very last two verses. And this is Paul finally getting to Rome. He is in chains, by the way. He's, he has a, he's under house arrest. There's a Roman soldier who is there. who has to make sure he doesn't escape. That's exactly where it's in Rome, under Nero, in a house there, in the capital, the heart of the known world at the time. This is what it says. It says, for the next two years, two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. I love that because you read the book of Acts, and pretty much half of it is about how people are trying to stop Paul from telling people about Jesus. And it gets to the end, and it just prospers. And finally, like, well, we can't stop him. right? And he's in the heart of society. And he is there, and he is proclaiming the gospel, building the church in Rome. You know, see, the amazing thing about the church is a miracle. In one generation after, by, by the time one generation had passed after Jesus had, had come back, right? So the, the lives of the apostles, by the end of that, the church had gone from this anomaly to a phenomenon. It was something that would make those in the Roman Empire, they, they, they sought up and they took notice. Everyone from empire, emperor to the kings to the provincial leaders, all the way down to the service and the slaves, from Jews to Gentiles, no matter what part of the Roman Empire you're part of, you heard the gospel. It went from this anomaly to a phenomenon, something that has never been repeated in, in all of human history. Nothing has ever been likened. Within 300 years, Christianity became the official religion of Rome. Rome, who for about 250 years tried to kill Christians and wipe out Christianity with everything it had. It used soldiers. It used torture. It used terror. It used everything, financial things. It tried to destroy the church. And it took the church three centuries, and all of a sudden, what do we still have in Rome? Oh, the Roman Catholic Church. It's still there. Where is Caesar? Where is the Senate? understand in three centuries the most powerful empire in the world had its heart captured by the gospel i think that's awesome within 300 years that took place something that no other religion could do remember the roman empire had just about every other religion that you could think of they had shrines about everything they had temples to everything they even worshiped themselves it took 300 years as something that thought that no one no one thought could be done it happened 600 years total that it took for the church to become the largest faith in, in human history to that point. It took 600 years. And it was still growing. Within 1,600 years, the church was the first faith to reach every single continent in the world. The very first one, historic. In fact, uh, there is only one other faith that's even come close to that. And I think it's pretty amazing. That the church has gone out and spread, just like Jesus said it would, to every single continent. And it took 2,000 years, about 2,000 years, the church had actually reached every, gov- every country in the world. It means the gospel is preached in every single country where there's a government. It is actually there. It is the first and only faith to ever have done that. It has gone worldwide. It took about 2,000 years, but it's done. No other faith in the history of humankind has ever come close. And by the year 2020, I think this is amazing, the gospel will be, will be translated, the Bible will be translated into every single language that is spoken in this world. These are historic times, but I think you understand that the church is growing and it's not stopping. 
See, we live in a culture where, where they say, well, the church is losing influence. Well, I want to tell you something very, very cool is that the church is not losing influence. The church is the largest faith in the history, and it continues to grow every single year. It prospers. It prospers wherever it goes. In fact, even the United States, where, where the percentage of people who claim Christianity are going down, did you know that actually the church is actually growing every single year, even in Colorado? How many baptisms have we had this year? You know, I've had zero people come into my office or I've talked to that said I'm walking away from the faith. None. The gospel is growing. It's expanding, even here in a difficult post-Christian culture. The story of us is an amazing thing. It's a story of God's power and God's prosperity. God is at work. See, we have to ask ourselves, why does the church prosper? What happens in the church that, that allowed the church to do something that, that, doesn't, that this doesn't make sense in this world? The church has done something significant. I think we can all agree the church is the most significant institution or group in the history of humanity. It has touched more lives, has changed more of culture than anything has ever come close to. The church is the most significant entity in the history of mankind. And that's not just me as a Christian saying that. Sociologists who are not Christians will say that. Sometimes they say it because they're angry. They think, oh, we don't like the church. It's significant. What did the church do? How does the church prosper? Well, Jesus tells us. There's some things that I want you to point out. This is our memory verse. First thing that we look at is the church has God's presence. It says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The reason the church prospers is not because we're such great people. It's not because we're so well-educated. It's not because we're so good-looking. It's not because we have all the right positions of authority, the right places, or things like that. The reason we prosper starts with because God is with us. That's why Jesus told the apostles, stay here and wait for the Holy Spirit. See, ministry outside the Holy Spirit is stupid. Trying to do things without God never leads to prosperity, not what kind that will last. Significance begins with God's presence. And the church has it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the church, Holy Spirit has come upon us, hasn't he? And that is what gives us something that not, the rest of the world doesn't have. See, humans couldn't conquer Rome. But for God, it was no big thing. But I think even the bigger thing is that humans can't conquer people's hearts. We can convince people. We can, we can make them kind of think in our way. But we can't change people from the inside out. We can't offer real hope. We can't give significance. We've been trying to do that for years. But when God comes, we have significance. The church has God's presence, but it doesn't just have that. It also has God's purposes. It says, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. The church has a reason. The thing is, for those who think about just religion, that want to just be a convert, that come to this, what they say is, what can God do for me? Right? I want to come. I want to be fed. I want God to do things for me. And the thing is, is that's a dead way of living. That's the way the rest of the world lives. You go out and you consume and you bring things in. But I'll tell you what, if you consume a lot but you never work out, what happens? You get fat and die. And that's what we see in a lot of faith. As we consume, we consume, we consume. One of the other pastors I worked with said he counted up. He'd been over 10,000 church services. Granted, we have to go to a lot of extra ones. But let's just say the average person than in faith and by the time they're in the middle, the middle ages they've gone through thousands of church services how many more church services do you need to go to until you get into somebody's life and care for them until you go to those students that are, that are needing help and you show them listen I have learned a lot about the Lord let me show you or you say you know what I've, I've come and I've learned enough about how God takes care of me to actually just take that step of faith and say I'm going to trust him how much more do we need 
I don't think we need any more. I think the church has God's purposes, and that's why it prospers. The church goes out and does things. The church isn't about us. In fact, when the church has become sick, portions of the church become sick, when it's all about give us all your money and your time so we can build great things for us. And it makes us sick in our gut because it's not God's purposes. God's purposes, you're going to be his witnesses. You're going to go out and you're going to love people. You're going to serve other people in real and significant ways. You're going to live a life of purpose and adventure. The church succeeds because it has God's purposes for us. And I think it's something that no one in this world can stop because if God is for it, who's going to resist it? Rome? Government? Mean people? Hard hearts? I'm sorry, but they've all fallen already. The church prospers wherever it goes. So we have God's purposes. But we don't just have that. We have this. We have God's promise. It says, you're going to tell people about me everywhere. Let me tell you where you're going to tell people about me. And you get, put yourself in the mind of these, these, these 12 Jewish guys who were amazed to see Jesus alive, but uneducated. They didn't have any other. I mean, they, they still had their fishing businesses a little bit, right? But it's not like... They didn't have a whole lot of opportunity. And Jesus says to them, you're going to be my witnesses. Tell people about me everywhere. And they're like, okay, in the store, and, you know, at the fishing dock and things like that. I'll tell. No, in Jerusalem, your hometown, the center of our faith there, where you live, in Jerusalem, they're going to tell people about, about me there. Great. How about through Judea? Well, that's, that's a little bit bigger. That's the region. And for folks that didn't have cars, that's a big deal because it's like a day and a half trip on a donkey to get to Judea. Right? So it's not something that you just kind of go and do. This is, you know, you have to be set. I'm going to go to Judea. Okay, fine. I can wrap my head around that. Samaria? What? We hate the Samaritans. They're like God's ex-wife. Right? They, they, were, they were not the clean ones. They didn't understand the faith. They were mean to us. There was racial problems and religious problems. We don't like them. I'm not going to go to Samaria. You're going to go to Samaria. And you're going to tell them about me. Oh, and then to the ends of the earth. You know, it's amazing that the church did this and then beyond. Like, the church actually got past the Roman Empire. It went beyond the borders of the Roman Empire. Did the Vandals and the Goths, you know, they were Christian? They certainly weren't Roman, right? That's why Rome fell. You see, the faith grew just exponentially. And for a group of 12 guys, the furthest that they had gone from home was like maybe 100 miles, which was a lot for people back then. This was a big thing, but it's God's promise. God said it will take place, and so it will take place. Now, they didn't know how it was going to happen. It took a little bit of persecution to get them out of Jerusalem. It's like the church started to grow in Jerusalem, and it wasn't going anywhere else because it was comfortable and happy, and God said, we have to squash that, and the church expanded. And wherever they went, they told people about the Lord. And the church has gone in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and continues to be spread. You see, it has God's promise. When God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You know, there are a few things that you can bet on that are a sure bet, and God is one of them. When God says it's going to happen, it may take a while. It may not be our timing, but it will happen. And that's why the church prospered. It wasn't up to humanity, and it wasn't up to, it wasn't up to society, and it wasn't up to chance, and it wasn't up to us being good enough, and it wasn't up to being smart enough. It was up to God. And because it was up to God, it could not fail. And it has not failed, which is why the church will never fail. It will always grow. The church continues to prosper. The church does significant things. It changes the world every single day. I had some folks that were actually related to me that are not very kind to Christianity because they view Christianity with just one lens. 
They think that Christians are all have to be vote a certain way, look a certain way, and, and are hateful to anyone who's not like that. And it's unfortunate that they think that. But it's where they're at. And we were discussing it one day because they're atheists. And the reason they're atheists is because they've chosen that they say, well, if there is a God, I would hate him. And uh, which is painful as a pastor, as a friend, family member to hear that. But as we were discussing this, um, we, we were talking about, okay, well, what is, if atheism is so good, then what are atheists doing to help feed the poor in Denver? Do you know in Denver there are two, two places that if you're homeless that you can pretty much go and make sure that you have a safe place to stay and you're going to have food? You know, both of those are Christian. And it's the same thing in Oklahoma City. And it's the same thing in, in, well, in uh, L.A. <laughs> it's the same thing wherever I've been. You know, most hospitals are called Saint Somebody <laughs> for a reason. Because it is the Christians. It is our faith that compels us to step out of selfishness. We give because God cares. We live for significant things. And I will tell you that if you ask somebody who has been just at rock bottom, and maybe they come here to Crossroads and they have a helping hand up because everything else in life fell apart, they will tell you that it was something significant, every one of those volunteers that was there, every person that gave them hope, that person was significant. The church is significant, and we are significant as part of it. Now, this is really, really tiny, so I'm going to read it for you. It's Acts 3. And it says, how do we know that we can live lives of significance? The church, yeah, the church big lives significance. How about us? This is what Peter says to them. And this is at Pentecost. This is when people are are saying to themselves, oh my goodness, we killed God. That was bad. And then he came back even worse for us, right? Because when you kill somebody and they come back from the dead, you're like, oh. So what do we do? And this is what he says. All of you must turn to God and change the way you think and act. And each of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins will be forgiven. And then you will receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. And get this, this promise belongs to you and to your children and to everyone who is far away. It belongs to everyone who worships the Lord as God. You get that last part? This promise belongs to you and to your children, to everyone. This is scripture, one of those few times of scripture where it directly says this is for you. You are some of those that it talks about that, that belongs to everyone who worships the Lord. Do you worship Jesus? Well, then the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you. It's yours. This promise of significance in a life that matters is not just for the church in general. It is for God's people, even in particular. So how do we live with this significance, knowing that God's Holy Spirit? The thing is we have to rely on the presence of God. If we are living our lives outside of God's will, well, guess what? We probably aren't going to prosper, and we're not going to live lives of significance, even if we're his children. And he'll allow us to do it. Yes, we will be saved. That's his mercy. But our lives, we can live selfish lives and we can get to the end of our lives and look back and say, what did I do that matter? We can live lives wondering, how can I get more? How can I get more friends or more, more money or, or more success in my job? And maybe that will make me feel good enough. It's never worked. It never will. And if we live lives outside of God, we don't have to wonder why we don't feel like we're making a significant difference or our lives matters because we're not living in such a way that they do. Now, you matter. But if you want a life of significance, it begins by relying on the presence of God. It means inviting God into our lives on a regular basis. Like Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Follow me. Which means this. Stop being so selfish. Stop just living for you. He said the people of this world, the pagans and those that don't know, live their lives worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, where they're going to sleep. 
And he says, it's not like that for us. God will take care of us. He says, look at how he takes care of his nature. And you are so much more important than that. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all those things will be given to you anyway. But he frees us now. He frees us to live for significance. That we can live lives of love. Lives of service towards other because of God. We have to rely upon his presence. And God will lead us. So include God. Live with him in our life. The second thing is that we have to live for the purposes of God. If you're living for your purpose and for your own benefit, Jesus said this. If you, anyone who wants to keep their life is going to lose it. But anyone who loses their life for his sake will actually find it. You see, that's what it's all about. Jesus has called us out to a bigger adventure than our own little, our own little world. Our own little life. He says there's something more important that you can do. There's something better for you, so do it. So live for the purpose of God. Find what it is that God made you for. That's what the church helps with. You have a ministry. You have a purpose in this life. He's equipped you. His spirit is in, in you to do something amazing, even today. So live for the purpose of God and, and shed that selfishness that holds us back. And the last thing that he shows us here is the same thing that helps the church live with, with significance is this. Trust in the promise of God. Trust it. Life of faith is not some kind of weird life. Pagans live lives of faith. They just believe that there isn't a God looking out for them. And you know what? To some degree, they're right. Because until you are in faith, God is not your father, and you are still his enemy. And he's going to have a hands-off. Sometimes he's God. Sometimes he reaches down out of mercy, but he's not under no compulsion to do that. And there is no promise for those that live outside of Christ. Their lives were not given any sort of significance. No promise towards that. But we who are in Christ, and anyone can be in Christ just to come to him by faith, but once we're in Christ, we have, we have the promise of God. He says not only is he going to save us for the future, he saves us now. His, his Holy Spirit is in us now. His promise and his purpose are for us now. He's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us physically. He's going to take care of us emotionally and spiritually. He's going to provide opportunities for us to live a life of adventure and purpose so that we can do things that matter. We have promise of God. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I've called you into those places. If I brought you into it, you may be pressed, but you're not crushed. You may be persecuted, you're not abandoned. You may be be, uh, struck down, but you're not destroyed. We have promise, says the church, and therefore we have boldness. And we can live a life of true significance in this world. Now, this is the end of this series. And as I wrap this up, I mean, I know that you get your 5%, right? You only retain 5% of what I said today. So here it is, right? God gives us significance, okay? You're going to get that. God gives us significance. Now, significance is living for and accomplishing things that are significant, and therefore significance is varied. The more significant the thing you've done, the more significance your life has. If you live for the things of God, you're living for the eternal things that, that really matter to change this world eternally, to change lives eternally, to care and to change hearts eternally. So the ultimate significance is found in the presence and the purposes and the promises of God. And this is where we need to live. Now, we have seen today an example of what that looks like. You don't have to reach a certain age in order to say, I want to live a life of significance. You're never too young or too old to, to hold on to the purposes and the presence and the power of God. All you have to do is be willing to stand up and say, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to follow. Whatever he said, I'm going to do it. Have that boldness. 
And it's an amazing thing. Now, next week, we're going to launch actually a three-week series. It's a little kind of a gap series for you on how our church is actually engage in this mission. We're going to look at God's missionary heart for the world, and, and we'll look at the missionaries that we support, and why our church is supporting things worldwide, regionally, and locally, and what we're doing so we know how to pray for them, encourage them, and the great work they're doing, but also why does God call us to those things so we can see why we're living for that significance. I encourage you to come to that, and then this summer, we'll be kicking off 12 weeks, which I encourage you to come to. We're going through the minor prophets, and they're not minor because they don't have important things to say. These are so profound. The things that they, I mean, you'd be amazed at how, how uh, timely their message is for us. So that's what we'll be doing this summer. So I encourage you to be part of that. But before we wrap up today's message, I want you to take out your memory verse card. Oh, not your memory card. <laughs> you can take that out too. It's important, but you want to do that later. But take out your connection card. Here's your connection card. On the back side, if you flip it over, we always want to respond when we come to God saying, what do you do this week? Well, maybe the first thing it says, this week I commit to. Maybe say, Aaron, you know, this week I'm going to commit to memorizing Acts 1-8. That's what I'm going to do. I want to make sure that I'm on track, that I'm, I'm, I'm relying upon God's presence. I am living for God's purposes and I'm relying on God's promises. Acts 1-8. Maybe that's what you need to do this week is set that into your heart so we live for what matters. Or how about this? Read 3 and Acts. What does that mean? Well, here's the thing. Acts has got like 22 chapters. So if you read three a day, you'll pretty much get through it in a week. And if you want to read through the book of Acts and see how God takes a group of nobodies and changes the world and how you're a part of that, read this. This is not hearsay. This is, this was, this is real stuff. God is still at work today. But if you want to hear the story of us, you want to see God at work, read that. How about this? Pray for Estes. Because we have to start by relying on God's presence, don't we? And this world is not going to change unless we engage God into it. And so maybe you say this week, you know, every day I want to be lifting up my community. Maybe there's people in your community that you pray for them and you care for them. And that's what you'll be doing. Or it might be this. You know, there's a, there's a Fresh Wind Prayer Ministry that meets every week. You might want to go meet with them or come out to the schools and be praying uh, with our student body for our schools. Maybe that's what you'll be doing. Or how about this? Here's a do thing. Serve this summer. Right? Find some way to exercise the gifts and the abilities and the resources that God has given you to serve somebody else in Jesus' name. You know, maybe it's in the church. We have a lot of kids, second service. We've had a ton of them. And maybe you love children or want to help them grow in their faith. That would be a great way to do it. Or to greet folks as they come in on Sunday mornings. That's awesome. Or to help us landscape. And there's some things to do here. But there's also other ways that we can serve. What about your neighbor or, or maybe folks that have moved into town who don't get no, look for opportunities. You say, you know, this summer, maybe you don't even know how you're going to do it yet, but you say, you know, I'm going to commit to living my life for purpose. Instead of just taking the summer and having it all about recreation and, and things for me, this summer is going to be my summer where I begin that incredible adventure with God and say, I'm going to serve you. And maybe that's the commitment you need to make. Maybe there's something else. That's why there's another line. You want to write that down because I'll be praying for you this week. Or maybe there's another commitment you need to make. Maybe you need to start a relationship with Jesus. You need to go from being his enemy to being his child, to receive his presence and his purpose and his promises for you. And that only comes by coming to a relationship with Jesus. So you don't know the Lord yet. That's uh, Let us know. I'll meet with you this week and talk to you about what does that mean. It's not a sales pitch at all. It's a change of life. And I want to help you take those steps. So if that's something that you're considering, let me know. Maybe it's baptism or any of those other things. Let us know. Or here's this last thing. Maybe you have a prayer request. We pray every week. And if you let us know, we will be praying for you. And we've seen God do miraculous things. 
So if you have something you would like us to pray for, let us know. And here in just a minute, we'll take our offering. And as we do, I'd like you to take these and drop this into the offering basket, which uh, is a a great thing to do. So let's, uh, let's pray for that and for our offering now. Heavenly Father, you are truth and you are good and you are holy and you are right and you are righteous and you are kind and you are present and you are powerful. And God, it is because of you that we have hope. It is because of you that we have received forgiveness. It is because of you that our lives can actually matter for something more than just going to work and pulling a paycheck. God, you give us lives of significance, so we want to live for you. Help us to do that. Help us to die to ourselves that that lie that somehow I'm going to be able to make this world on my own. And help us to come to you with right hearts, And that we would serve you completely. Father, we've made commitments today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep those commitments this week. And not just to do them out of religious obligation, but God, that you would change our hearts in the process. And Father God, we thank you that we're able to bring our our gifts and our tithes and our offerings to you. You care for us. That's what you promised to do. And we are sitting here testimony today. You care for us. You take care of our needs. So Father, we're going to bring back a portion of what you've given us as you've commanded. Just as a way of saying thank you a way of showing our dependence upon you. And Father, we pray that you would bless and multiply those to reach this community and this world for your gospel. Lord, we ask these things in the incredible name of your son, Jesus. Amen.